This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Topop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. I'm not relaxed, Charlie. I'm not relaxed. I'm not relaxed either. It's a bit of a strange feeling to be starting the episode because, uh, well, we might as well let everyone know. Will, why don't you let everyone know? Okay. Oh, nice, nice, nice handball in the traffic, Charlie. I appreciate that. Um, well, uh, someone who's been a great friend to this show for the last four years. In fact, probably the predominantly main reason this show has existed for the past four years and a whole bunch of our other shows. Mike Hell, our US uh, robot AI producer. Um, well, basically, like many other businesses in the world, Charlie, we've been fucked by the falling Australian dollar. <laughs> so we've mentioned this on the show a few times over the years, which was that, uh, um, you know, when we started using uh, Mike Hell, the Australian dollar was about, you know, a dollar to dollar of the American dollar. And now it's about half that, which just mm-hmm. meant that to pay him properly as he deserved because he did just such amazing work on this show and you know we were often in two different states of Australia or two different countries and he would get up at all times of the night you know get our audio put it all together fix any mistakes that had been made at our various ends with various levels of recording quality and always do it with such grace and good humor and um, incredible friendship and such a passion for the show so he's been as much as anyone who's involved in getting this show out weekly, he has been at the very heart of this show for the last four years. And so uh, it's been a tough time for us because we're trying to, you know, keep putting this show out and trying to go forward in a way that, you know, means that we can keep doing that. And uh, no one's really worked out how to do that in podcasting yet, but uh, we're trying to work out how that might be so that we can keep making this show every week. And um, well, basically it's meant that we've, we're ending our journey or at least our full-time journey with Mike Hell as the yeah. producer of this show. He's still absolutely going to be a huge part of our family and I'm sure that he will be back from time to time and when I'm doing some faux fops again in the future, which I do plan to do, you know, we'll probably work together to, you know, because I'll be talking to people in different countries. I'm thinking about doing a little series with Dave Anthony in the run-up to the US election because whether Bernie's running or whether Bernie's not running, Dave's going to have a lot to say about it. So uh, anyway, that's a very long-winded way of saying that um, today is our first episode of this that we're doing without Mike Hell for, you know, about four years, which is a really big deal and we wanted to take some time at the start of the episode because what we do here at TOEFOP is always be completely honest you know with you guys about you know what we're doing and how we're doing it because we've always worked out over the years that inviting you guys in and explain to you what's going on is is better than pretending anything else so um we've loved Mm. having him part of our team and if we had not been fucked by the Australian dollar making uh, you know, him being paid twice as much. Plunging. <laughs> yeah. And we can't work out how to make any money out of this ourselves. Um, it, you know, he would still be a full-time member of our team and uh, uh, we love him to death and, and we hope that he's going to be a huge part of our story going forward in whatever way this, you know, this uh, little dinky operation of ours goes forward. Yeah, I mean, if you want another reason to dislike Donald Trump, yeah. you can blame the fact that he's strengthened the US economy <laughs> to the point where it's squeezed squeezed this little independent podcast to the point where we can't afford our producer. Um, But yeah, look, the Michael uh, journey to our show is pretty extraordinary because it was really just a great example of why you should give something a shot. Like he just contacted us out of the blue. He listened to the show. He knew, I mean, as everyone who listened to the show back in those days knew, he knew that we needed help and he offered his services. And it was just as simple as an email and we knew that we needed help. And so we said, okay, we'll just give this guy a shot. And 
I mean, I've got to say, of all, of all the things I've worked on and productions and stuff like that, and it, this one went as smoothly as could be. Like the way he started on the show, how capable he was, and the way he was able to teach us how to do the show better was a really easy transition. Um, he set up things like the live YouTube chats. You know, we had uh, call waiting. Uh, we did a bunch of stuff, and it wasn't just the podcast, but he started taking over the website Anytime we need any videos cut, anything like that, Mike Howe was the guy. And, and you mentioned before he was available day or night. That was the thing that made him such a valuable asset to the show. And the other thing is I think he got the show. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a mercenary or a gun for hire. He started off as someone who listened to it. And I think, you know, when he would post stuff on our behalf, when we put up an episode and he would write a little joke or, you know, he started taking more creative license on the show. It just made the show better. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. And he was a creative contributor to the show. You know, there were moments where there were little bits of audio in jokes or the, uh, the, I mean, his real kind of, you know, best things were putting together the best of, you know, episodes, having themes and that AI episode where he basically just made an episode out of all the various different recordings of us is a genuine creative, you know, work in its own right that is a big part of the history of our show. So, um, yeah, we're really really sad that like you know i mean we're sad and happy you know that this is not this is all a positive thing mm. and we should mention that uh michael has recorded <laughs> a very on-brand <laughs> message that you must stick around for uh at the end of the show and um can we talk about the present are we do you think is that we oh, can yeah. talk about this right yeah 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 so look um this hasn't been a sudden decision we actually decided about six months ago with our producer, Sam, we were looking at the figures and we're like, look, this, as much as we love Mike Hal, we need to bring everything locally. And um, so we wanted to give uh, Mike Hal as much notice as possible. Right. So we told him about six months ago, look, that we're looking to sort of bring things locally and you know, give him enough time to kind of, um, um, you know, set up for life after TOEFOP. And uh, we discussed away from Mike Hal, like what a, ni a nice gift might be. And then we had the idea that, look, James Fosdyke should create an original piece of Tofop art just for Mike Hal. Um, and so we commissioned Foz to create a stunning, like I think it's actually one of my all-time favourite Foz bits of art. And maybe with Mike Hal's permission, we can put it up for people to see or maybe we'll put it up on the Patreon or something. But it is one of Foz's best. I think Foz gave us a bit of a discount yeah. on this one because, you know... Well, as we've mentioned a few times now, money's tight. <laughs> so we had limited resources, but Foz uh, just delivered in spades. And so it's an awesome um, Westworld-inspired poster of Mike Cal, uh, portraying Mike Cal as the part man, part machine, or producer. And uh, we wanted to make it a bit of a surprise for him. So uh, I organized to get it printed and framed in the States and delivered to his doorstep. So... Um, I got Mike Hal's address and uh, got this thing printed and I was very nervous about this because I just always reckon this shit goes wrong. Because mm. <laughs> so it's TOEFOP. I was tracking of it course the way. Yeah, because it's TOEFOP. <laughs> and it got... Um, and if you don't agree with that, please fax us. <laughs> <laughs> so we got it printed in his home state. We got it delivered and I watched the tracking and track, track, track and it said it had been delivered. And I was like, okay, well, day's gone past, haven't heard anything from him. Two days have gone past. I haven't heard anything from him. Three days, I'm starting to think, does he dislike the present? Oh, <laughs> like, is it, no. have, I, have we completely misjudged it? Have I been ripped off by this printing and framing company? Have they just sent him like a bag of dog poo or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> what could possibly be going on? So I had to, I wanted to be surprised, but I was also wanted to make sure he'd got it. So I had to text him and I said, hey man, like, um, did a package arrive for you today? And Mike Al said that he'd been, uh, been away from home for a couple of days, so he wasn't sure. But he said to me, if it was Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box, he's going to be very upset. <laughs> Which I had to assure him it was not going to be any no, human body parts. It was parts. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina in a box. We got him one of those goop candles that smells like a <laughs> vagina. So it turns out that uh, Mike Howe was away. So he arranged for his neighbour. Um, he arranged for his neighbor to pick up the package for him. And I might just read the email correspondence because I think Mike Howell says it better than uh, I, can, I can retell here. Um, all right, so this is Mike Howell uh, emailing us a few days ago to let us know he received the package. So 
My neighbor Katie took the package in off my front step as I had a quick overnight out of town. In our text conversation, she mentioned that the outer box was slightly opened and appeared water damaged. In expressing my concern for possible damage to whatever might be inside, she misconstrued my message as containing the intention for her to open it and check for damage. She did just that. It was 100% undamaged and for her, utterly befuddling. <laughs> See, I've never explained to her anything about the work I do. <laughs> Given that she's asked me more than once about tax-related matters, I believe she thinks I'm some kind of work-from-home accountant. <laughs> Keep in mind, the picture that this lady opened is a full-size poster of Mike Hal as a robot. <laughs> like a detachable face with circuits underneath. Carrying guns, I believe. And, of course, we we sometimes become a bit blasé to the art of James Fosdyke at how just amazing... Cause, because he does these incredible individual pieces for every show that we do, we forget that when you first see a James Fosdyke, particularly a piece that he's put that much work into like that, it blows your mind. You're like... Who is this artist yeah. and who is this amazing piece? <laughs> so not only are you just suddenly seeing this stunning work of art, but it's a stunning working art, work of art about a guy you know and you realise in that moment you don't know a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> he continues, I thank her for what she did and left her with the impression that I had simply commissioned this for myself. <laughs> <laughs> It did, after all, seem easier to let her think that than try and explain what TOEFOP was to her. The less she knows about TOEFOP, the probably the better. But I am saddened to think that she will never know the true nature of what she sheepishly handed to me through a door open not quite wide enough to meet the standard of what would be called welcoming. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty funny. Like, it looks like it could be, it looks like Mike Howell has had a heavy metal poster, his own heavy metal poster designed for him. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like somebody who's massively seriously into role play and fantasy and just has some sort of dungeon at his house that he's commissioning individual works of art, you know, based on himself. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's been such a great friend to our show and we hope that he will continue to be a great friend to our show, both on air and off air, because of course, you know, we've been in different parts of the world and one or the other of us is normally on the call first. So you always have a chance to catch up and share, you know, quite intimate details, all of us of, you know, um, what's been going on in our lives, you know, through good times and bad, you know, like, you know, with dying pets and, you know, personal setbacks and births of babies and all these sort of things. And he would bins, have been one of the first bins people being to know. Stolen. Bins being stolen. But I, he, he would have been one of the first people to know, you know, that uh, Gemma and you were pregnant, were having a child, you know, because yeah. we were having these conversations. He was very much witness to some very intimate parts of our lives and we were uh, in return witness to some intimate parts of his life and that will be a bond that we, I think, share forever. So anyway, we, you know, yeah. we're going to do some other stuff, but we wanted to make sure that we paid a proper tribute to a guy who's been a hugely important part of this show and um, please stick around at the end uh, for the message that he has recorded. And when one Michael exit, another Michael enters. Uh, so we should also take the time to welcome uh, our new producer, Podcast Mike, who uh, we have recruited from Philosophy. Uh, he's currently on this call. We've had to sort of talk him through how Tofop works. Hopefully by the end and of then, this, he's still our producer. And then, play, and then pay a glowing... You know, just like basically it's your first day at work. We're going to spend the first 20 minutes talking about how good the old guy was at his job. So no pressure, mate. <laughs> anyway, we love this guy. He knew everything about us and he was a fucking genius. How's your first day going so far? <laughs> for, my, for my wedding night, I, I, I want to one more time have sex with my ex-wife just to show you how good it was and the standards I want for this wedding. And you watch. Hello, hello, podcast, Mike. Thanks for coming on board and let us let us cuck you for the first yeah. ten minutes of the <laughs> podcast. Podcast cuck. <laughs> he says thanks. Um, so you're over in Adelaide at the moment, doing I Adelaide am. Festival. How's it going? Yeah, it's it's going well. It's it's absolutely going great. It's it's the best show that I think I've ever t brought to Adelaide. I'm having an absolutely fun time doing the show. Um, 
Crowds are down a bit, they think, because of like coronavirus fears and those sort of things. People are in general still going out and doing things as you should be still going out and doing things unless you're sick, obviously. Um, but it's definitely having an effect, I think, on on the crowds, um, you know, just generally. You can tell Adelaide Fringe, normally, you know, in the gardens and all that sort of stuff, it is just packed around town mm. and it just does not have that same sense. It feels like maybe 10, 15% of people are maybe just staying away a little bit more than they would. But, you know, the, mm. the thing about then the opposite, the ones who do go out, because there's nothing less hygienic than going to the fucking gardens in Adelaide to go to an outdoor <laughs> indoor tent festival. Like everything about it is gross. Like going into those public toilets, coronavirus couldn't survive one of the public yeah. toilets in a garden at a festival. And then like yeah. everything's food out of a truck. All I've eaten the entire time I've been here. Like I'm in a tent with, you know, with strangers every night, you know, I'm trying to get them to expel my fluids in my direction, you know, basically, right? And then I eat out of these food trucks <laughs> you at night. These smooth random- talker, you. I want you to expel your fluids in my direction. Is that your pillow talk? But that's what it is at its best, right? If yeah. somebody's really laughing, there's spit coming out of them all over the place. So, <laughs> And then I'm eating out of food trucks where I don't know what the hygiene regulations are for fucking food trucks, but I've been doing a lap of eating out of food trucks and I'm shaking people's hands and I'm high-fiving and, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just going to you know, get out and about and live my life and it seems like there's enough people who are still doing that to... Have some fun and do some shows. I, I, I've always liked going to Adelaide. Like I've done, worked on two different shows that have shot in Adelaide. I've spent quite a bit of time over there. I don't really get the bad rap. I mean, look, once you get an hour out of Adelaide, it does get a bit hairy. <laughs> but then again, name yeah. me one major city where that's not the case. Oh, well, if you drive for an hour in Sydney, you're not even out of the CBD. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's come around um, the circle. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I think Adelaide, no, Adelaide, the city itself is a great city and the food here is like I have had the best week of eating I think I've had in the last year. There's so much good. I've noticed that everything now. I've had last two nights. I've had dinner at this Greek uh, vegan place, mm-hmm. and it's just incredible. Like you would not know it was vegan food. And then um, is it one of those the, fake? Is it fake meat vegan or is it just yeah. like there's no meat? No. So a fake. Yeah. So they do like you know a, a, a lamb euros or a chicken euros with the fake meat, and it tastes amazing and it's vegan and like the other night so but all the food trucks shit made out of those who cares like, <laughs> not coronavirus is what it's made out of i don't care what it's made out of dried down coronavirus it tastes delicious you put enough garlic sauce on it no one's <laughs> noticing um all the food vans now have like so there's this uh tempura mushroom van so it's all just mm. rando mushrooms just deep fried delicious there's a, a, you know, Southern fried chicken. There's now a Southern fried tofu van. So I was like, I mean, none of this is healthy. This is all just vegetarian and delicious. I've been loving it. Yeah, last time, I mean, it's been a couple of years since I've filmed in Adelaide, but last time I was there uh, working, I was, the nightlife was amazing. And there's, I mean, I'm so Melbourne biased, but like every time I go to a city in Australia that has a like a good strip or something, like, oh, this is very Melbourne. This is very Melbourne. But there were parts of it I'm like, well, this is very Melbourne, the way you sort of put the cafes and the restaurants and that idea that you can go to a, you in within walking distance, you can do whatever you need to do. You can have a, there's a cocktail bar, there's restaurants, there's like pubs, there's all that kind of stuff. I think it's the one thing I really uh, sort of am getting over living in Sydney is just that inability to walk anywhere. Like I was just in Melbourne for two and a half weeks while Jem was working, minding the kid and it was just so easy to get around. Like it was just so easy to, to leave our hotel and get to a park or get to shops or, you know, go to an art gallery or whatever. And it was all like walking distance or at the most jumping on a tram. And I do love it in Sydney, but when you were on foot, you were absolutely trapped. You can't really get anywhere. You've, that's why everyone in Sydney stays in their hood. Yeah. I, I'm staying in an Airbnb that's about 25 minutes walk away from the gardens where I'm performing it's about five to ten minutes walk away from the Adelaide markets, you know, the big you know, fresh food markets they have. And mm. so I just walk everywhere. Like I go down there for food and stuff and then like I walk through the centre of the city, up Rundle Mall, you know, basically to the shows in the gardens. And they've done this incredible thing now where at the top, you know, where the gardens are at the sort of top of uh, Rundle Street, 
they shut all that off at least three or four nights of the week from traffic. So it just turns into from sort of Rundle Mall right up to the gardens, this massive street party and all the restaurants end up putting like tables out in the middle of the street. And so essentially every night they're having this like three, four block party, you know, that's, yeah, it's cool. It's like what other cities do? doing that like melbourne's not even doing that yeah yeah, where you've basically just gone we're going to turn the entire inner cbd into this party city for like a month (laughs) i remember when i started on mcleods like years ago and the runner who picked me up was like this sort of gothy type dude he was uh he was like adelaide boy local lived there loved it but (laughs) this is my first impression of adelaide like i just arrived i'm getting driven out to set so it's like an hour and a half drive and so he's giving me the unofficial, the history of Adelaide that you won't read about in history books. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I can't remember the exact specific details, but he was trying to sell me on the fact that Adelaide was designed by this guy. Like, you know, in um, uh, uh, Ghostbusters, whoever designed the building that Dana Barrett lives in, he's some kind of like Satanist or Gozer worshiper who designs that building specifically to be a bridge between like our dimension and like a, a, a hell dimension. So his theory is that the guy who designed Adelaide, mm-hmm. who also designed Christchurch, that was his deal. That Adelaide is specifically, like he, he, he geometrically laid out to harness bad energy. And that, and I don't know, Mike, podcast Mike, here's a good chance for you to, to, to test your skills. Can you Google a fact? Because he told me, that the Pope will not land in Adelaide. <laughs> like that the Pope oh. refuses to land in Adelaide. Cause you know, how the Pope will like kiss the ground or whatever because of the bad mojo. And he reckons a guy designed Christchurch also designed Adelaide and Christchurch has the highest incident of psychosexual assault <laughs> anywhere in the world. And that's why weird stuff happens in Adelaide as well. Now, I don't know if that's based on fact. <laughs> You don't? Well, I've heard the Pope one before. The version I heard was the Pope landed in Adelaide and then got off the plane and got straight back on the plane. So I don't know if either of them are true or they're just a terrible story people tell about Adelaide, but I would like to know if there is actually any truth. Maybe the Dalai Lama didn't either? Say, podcast Mike, here's your mistake. He just sent a message saying, I'm not finding any reliable information that it might be true. Well, give us the unreliable information. Yes, we don't need reliable information. (laughs) What we're looking for is any place to start, no matter how irrational. (laughs) Speculation is what we want. (laughs) I mean, because I remember growing up, Adelaide did have that kind of reputation for, because of the family and all that kind of weird stuff that was going on. Like yeah, it was, because it, it there was, was weird stuff going on. I think was, there was like, you know, they used to call it the shallow grave capital of the world, right? I don't think yeah. that is accurate anymore, but there seemed to be a lot of weird style crimes and unsolved murders and stuff. And obviously Snowtown, which is not Adelaide, but was South Australian, was a pretty horrific and weird, you know, murder that happened. And it just, I think partly it was because the juxtaposition between what it was and what it was perceived to be. So, like, you know, it was the city of churches. It was this, yeah. you know, town that was actually full of, you know, religious people, you know, the place that was settled by free settlers, not convicts. And they had this sense of, you know, the people of Adelaide, even the way they spoke was that yes. much more rounded vow, traditionally English, yeah. you know, Lego, not Lego, you know, sort of world that they lived in. And then there was this, yeah, underbelly, of it all getting a bit sort of eyes wide shut, you know, at night. Well, podcast, Mark, maybe you can look up who designed Adelaide, what what architect mm. or city planner designed Adelaide and see if he also designed Christchurch as well. So we can do a bit of research. Okay, Adelaide was designed by William Light. Maybe we should do a bit of digging on the sinister motivations of William Light. I mean, wouldn't that be ironic? Yeah. His name's William Light. No, there'd be the perfect cover for somebody who was working for the Lord of Darkness, okay. William Light. That, that feels like a massive pseudonym that a devil person would come up with. Okay, so it's apparently it's a misconception um, about mm. Christchurch because he died in 1839. Okay, so that's mm. easily well, disproven. But if our theory is right that he is some sort of like, you know, devil worshiper you know tool of satan it probably doesn't matter that he died right it would probably increase his power he probably went on designing cities well after he died 
Maybe that was the pact he made with the devil, that if you designed Adelaide as some sort of you know, demonic pentagram, I will give you eternal life to keep designing other cities. That doesn't sound like if you could do the deal with the devil designing cities, <laughs> like that's, that's the that's best That's his passion, Charlie. But this is what he's already into, mate. Like, you know, you're just saying to a guy, you know, you get to do the thing that you like to do. Like, he has two passions. One is the devil and one is designing cities. And he's finally found a job where he can combine his two passions. You know what, Charlie? If you have that much fun at work, you, you, don't, you don't work a day in your life. That's what William Light was like. It's like he would bound into work every day. Find out what satanic work you like to do and do it with all your heart and you'll never work a day in your life. Okay, so it turns out Christchurch was laid out by an Englishman called Edward Jolly um, in 1850. Okay, so that, that, those, two, those two cities don't line up and there's no evidence that William Light had anything to do with Satan. So obviously this runner... This guy was lying to me because he also told me that there was a race of wingless angels that lived in subterranean caves in Adelaide. Oh, okay. Well, you probably should have led with that and I wouldn't have put so much stock in his original information based on... But again, William Light sounds like something you would call yourself if you're actually like, you know, Gary Dark. And then Christchurch, that's classic overcompensating for the name of a city. Like if you're trying to design a devil city... Calling it Christchurch is like hiding in plain sight, you know. I mean, you couldn't call it Antichristchurch, could you? Well, yeah. Well, maybe he just like wrote that in, in like, you know, invisible ink. And then one day somebody's spraying like lemon juice on it. Hang on. It says in all these official documents, it's Antichristchurch. <laughs> I mean, there, there are... Uh, Imagine like- Jacinda Ardern. Has to um, go go on television and say we've had some disturbing news here in New Zealand. Uh, we've been examining some original docu- documents from the founding of Christchurch, and somebody spilt some lemon juice on the paper, and we've discovered there was actually messages, satanic messages, written in invisible ink, and it's actually called anti-Christchurch. How would people react? Okay, just. Just say that actually happens, right? So it's it's uncovered there has been a, a complete misrepresentation. Uh, it was actually meant to be anti-Christchurch. Mm. Do you think that there is... Who wins in that debate? Are historians, do they outweigh kind of the, the moral right? They say, well, look, it was founded as anti-Christchurch. You know, that's what he wanted. Or it's like, no, we cannot call a city anti-Christchurch. Or maybe it's like this, Charlie. It just means all your local documents are invalid if you're not willing to pledge to anti-Christchurch. If you want to go to Christchurch, that's fine, but you're going to have to get a new licence, you're going to have to get your new arrangement with the local council and the bins. There's going to be two separate movements. But if you're happy to just say, I endorse anti-Christchurch, then we're fine. We won't change anything over. How many people just go, ah, fuck it, I'll just endorse anti-Christchurch? Do you think people, I mean, I'm sure there's some parts of the world, South America and stuff, where there would be uproar about calling something anti-Christchurch. Do you think there is the general... We've moved on from those times, haven't we, where blasphemy is considered like as shocking as it used to be? Yeah, but Charlie, just answer me this, seriously. You're living in Christchurch. Yeah. And they come out and they go, oh, we've discovered it's actually (laughs) invisible ink, lemon juice. Uh, We've discovered (laughs) that it is anti-Christchurch. I love... (laughs) <laughs> that they have like the entire New Zealand scientific body. They, they've got a laboratory, millions in funding, and they still use lemon juice. No lemon one, juice and a cigarette lighter. No, no, one, no one thought to check. Like, why would you think to check that they were sneaking anti-Christchurch in an invisible ink? But they were looking at the old parchment. Somebody was uh, actually having a hot tea with lemon in it. Went to squeeze the lemon. The lemon... What, why does the lemon juice thing work? I can't remember. No, I don't know. So have... you write a message in lemon juice in lemon and juice. then you heat it or something? I think but, so. And then you heat the paper? Or could we just say that they lay a piece of like butcher's paper over the top of the document and they rub a crayon on it? <laughs> what they see is anti comes up in front of Christchurch. Well, maybe like because isn't Christchurch and I don't mean to make light of this, but that's where earthquakes and stuff have happened, right? So maybe mm, like yeah. something when the ground. I mean, it does feel like you're living on a bit of a hell mouse, right? And maybe when one of the earthquakes yeah, yeah. starts, it opens up some previously undiscovered bit of they discover the original parchment, the original papers where it just said it's actually anti-Christchurch. So you're living in, you're living in what was Christchurch and is now going to be yeah. called anti-Christchurch. Do you yeah. not have any unease about the fact that you now live in anti-Christchurch? Well, I'm 
kind of I'm an, an atheist so why why does it matter to me I mean it's just words right antichrist do you have any qualms about living in an antichrist church I mean I, I, I don't know why I do but I kind of feel like that I do it just feels like you'd be tempting fate even though I don't believe it there's still just another part of me it's like walking under ladders like I know that you know, I mean, that's just a superstition and it means nothing, but still I will walk around a ladder because why? why? Why tempt it? Why risk it? <laughs> why risk it? But, but aren't there places called like Devil's Bend and all that kind of stuff? You oh, don't yeah. feel funny about that's a good going point. there. I mean, Antichrist, mm. Antichrist sounds, because it's specific, yeah. like Antichrist sounds specifically uh, a targeting Jesus Christ. So mm. like Devil something or another is a bit more of a broader concept, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, I guess there is, if someone... If you sat next to a Satanist on a plane and they they announce themselves as a Satanist, do you have any kind of qualms about that? I don't know. What, what is the average kind of... Are they just this sort of believer in Satanism or is there like, you know, animal sacrifice and shit like that? Because I always associate mm. Satanism with animal sacrifice. Well, the Church of Satan is actually... The Satanists don't believe... that All that kind of stuff is, is bullshit. It's more of a... Um, uh, it's a li- it's more like a libertarian belief, a personal responsibility, do unto others as you would like to be treated, that kind of stuff. Like, and they're not devil they, worshipers. I think they got that's that one different. from the Bible, though, isn't it? <laughs> that one's in the Bible as well. <laughs> <laughs> and the cry. Well, all right. Rather than a Satanist, you sit down next to a devil worshiper, yeah. someone who believes in the devil, and the devil is their their god. Okay. But just in the way that, but just in the way a Christian person might go to church on Sunday or like you know around the holidays, they're just like, yeah, my religion is devil worshiper. I worship a little at night. I don't sacrifice anything or anything. It's just a personal belief, and you know, in times of guidance or whatever, you know, I I worship the devil, and uh, you know, like you know, I like to dress like this. It's just a belief. It's just kind of a lifestyle and a belief, and you know, like someone who's into spiritualism and yoga. Is that what it is? Kind of like (laughs) they were raised. They were raised worshipping the devil, but, you know, then as they got older, they sort of, now it's just for, for anti-Christmas and anti-Easter. <laughs> they'll go to like, they'll go to a, they'll go to a, a church of Satan, uh, but just on those two events, just to please their parents. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they love Easter. Well, the Friday, they hate the Monday, but the Friday, yeah. fucking the great Friday's day. a party. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd feel like, cause essentially you know, you meet someone who believes in God. I'm like, okay, well, you know, you believe in an imaginary person as long as you're doing no harm. So if I met someone who's like, yeah, I believe in the devil, I I guess I'd feel the same way. I'm like, okay, sure. No, I'm fine with that as I well. I mean, unless... It, if it's just... Yeah, it, I would have no problem with somebody worshipping the devil in their own times. So as long as you're not harming anybody else, that's fine with me. Exactly. I mean, I would feel just as apprehensive if someone told me that they were getting... They were hearing... The vo- a voice in their head telling them to do things. If they told me that was God or that was the devil, I'd be just as disturbed. Yeah, I mean, yes, you're right in that if you're hearing voices in your head, that, you know, is probably something that you need to address. Like, you know, it's probably something medical and maybe there's something you can do about it. But I, I still feel like in general, if you're hearing voices in your head and one of them you're identifying as God and one you're identifying as the devil, God's probably still going to tell you to do like if I've if I've got to go with Good one things. or the other of the voices in the head telling you to do something, the God one I prefer to the devil one still because it always feels like the devil would be like the devil made me do something really terrible. Where if God's talking to you, it might be the same thing. But is it like a cop? If the devil's in your head telling you to do things, is it like a cop where he has to let you know he's the devil? Because otherwise, the devil could be like, "Hey, this is God speaking." I reckon you should uh, steal that jacket and go on a rampage. Oh, are you talking about my new TV series, Undercover Devil? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just shaves off the beard, um, hides the horns. Well, I guess what you're saying is like when you're talking about God, uh, is that there is a good God and there is a bad God. So that's yeah. your police analogy, right? There's yeah. good God, bad God. <laughs> which which are you doing today? It's the classic good God, bad God situation. It's an entrapment situation. Like, you know, like a drug dealer gets into a car with someone and says, yeah. uh, are you a cop? you got to tell me if you are. So you suddenly hear a voice telling you to do something. I think right. you say, hang on, are you the devil? You've got to tell me if you are. Okay, yeah, you can say that, but... 
you're also still having a conversation with the devil inside your head and t- trying to negotiate deals. And I don't, it's, I don't think it's really going to help. I feel like you're addressing the wrong part of this problem. Well, I just feel like, I mean, the devil's going to lie no matter what, right? That's his, that's his mm. modus operandi. So you could say, okay. hey, he comes into your head and he's like, hey, I've got a really good idea. Maybe you should steal um, all the Patreon money and uh, buy yourself like a gold jacket. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do that to, to Will and to everyone who works in this show. That, that, you know, that's not my money. And he's like, it's cool, man. I'm God. I'll take care of all that stuff. And I say, hang on. Are you the devil? You better tell me if you're the devil. You got to tell me. And he's like, nah, man. I'm God. I'm totally God. You should definitely steal that money. Is the onus then on me to be like, come on, Charlie. The, God is not telling you to steal all the Patreon money. Well, firstly, I'm, I'm alarmed that stealing all the Patreon money was the first example that came to your mind. I mean, so quickly, as if you had been wrestling with that conundrum. Anyway, but let's, let's move on from that. Turns out, turns out Michael was fine. We were paying him fine, but Charlie's been making up some elaborate fucking story about the dollar so they can siphon off fucking Patreon money because the voices in his head told him to fucking do it. All right. Sure. Okay. Well, let's move on from that for a second. I, I like this conundrum you've got where you said the devil would always lie. Mm. Because then that, that, that puts you almost in an impossible situation, doesn't it? Because if you say to the devil, are you the devil? And the devil says, no, I'm God. But isn't that what God would say also to the question, are you the devil? Like if yes. I ask God, are you the devil? Because God's telling the truth. God would go, no, I'm God. So mm. now you're in an impossible situation, right? Because you don't know if it's the devil lying or if it's God telling the truth. Well, that's why I'm saying like it comes back onto you being able to interpret the advice being given. Like that's essentially maybe God and the devil put, they are doing good God, bad God. They're putting the onus back on you to make the right choice because ultimately you don't know if it's the devil lying or if it's God actually being God. So you have to decide if the advice being given is for the betterment of mankind and yourself or if it is going to cause damage. The other announcement we've got to make is this is now a religious podcast. <laughs> Every week we'll be doing a little parable of our own and then breaking it down and decide whether it's good God, bad God. Well, I guess that oh, I've made it too easy by saying still the Patreon money. I mean, that's very clearly a, a devilish thing to do. But what if it was more of a like a ambiguous kind of bit of advice? Oh, okay. Well, say you get a um, message from uh, you get Osha you and Osha do your dad pod right okay and so suddenly it's becoming um, you know it's becoming really good Uh, but you get uh, somebody saying to you somebody's helping your manager going what you really need is one of you has to have another kid yeah one of you has to have another kid right yeah but you can't tell Gemma why you have to have another kid. You just have to convince Gemma without mentioning the podcast that you want to have another baby. Now, is that God saying, well, you need to do this thing. Like, you know, you're gonna, it'll be advantageous for both of you. Is it God saying, oh, it'll be a great gift. You know what? I, I don't need to tell Gemma this reason. There are plenty of other great reasons we should have another child. Wouldn't it be great for Iona to have like a brother or a sister? You know, we love this so much at the moment. Let's, you know, expand our family. Like, you know, you could come up with all these godly reasons to convince you that that was a really good idea. But it all could also could be just the capitalism devil over here going, <laughs> have a baby, exploit your baby. I mean, that's not a great example either, but... I- <laughs> No, but it's true because there are there are pros and cons for either, and it's more about. I just I just can't imagine God. If God was to give you advice, it would never be with any level of deception. Like, do this thing, but don't tell your partner. Do this thing, but don't tell. Like, God's advice would always be like transparent, out in the open. Don't you reckon? I mean, it depends if it's new God or old God, right? Like, have you ever heard, like, a celebrity talk about, like, you know, they'll believe in God or Jesus or whatever, and, you know, um, I'm so glad I, I recorded this album because, you know, Jesus told me it was the right thing to do or whatever. And I'm always like, do you mean literally they spoke to you? Or do you mean, oh, uh, the way events unfolded led me to believe that there was some kind of divine path being laid up before me? Probably both. And they interpret the second one as the first one a bit. But sometimes I think people literally think that they hear the the words of Jesus. I mean, maybe in a dream or something like not, you know, Mm. but like or or a thought 
crystallizes in their mind so clearly that you think I can't have just had this thought myself. It must have been mm. a thought that has been placed in my mind by like sometimes when a good joke, you know, just like kind of forms itself in my mind or like something I've been working on just kind of clicks in my mind. You do have that sense of going, I know that the way that that's worked is over the last weeks, I've been compiling this information and mucking around with things. And it's just while I'm not thinking about it, it's subconsciously kind of worked itself out yeah. in my mind. But, but I can imagine if I wasn't thinking that you could almost feel like it was placed there. Like this perfect mm. thought was like placed in your mind. And I can imagine that, if someone had a revelation about what they should be doing with their life or, you know, wrote a beautiful piece of music, it might feel like when it came to you or you wrote it, that it wasn't the combination of your skill and your ear and your talent and your practice and those sort of things, but it was actually something that was channeling through you into the music and you it might feel like, you know, and you know what? I feel like Jesus is the cool young kid who like God was all about, you know, Jesus is more the guy going around going, you should be in a band, mate. You know what? Yeah. Write your music. Be cool. You know, follow your dreams, man. I do remember there's, I, know, I met this actor once who very earnestly told me that he had, Jesus visited him more than once. Like he actually saw him in the room and they conversed. And I can't remember what the advice was, but it was something along the lines of, you know, changing his life around or, you know, changing his ways or whatever. And I sat with him for like half an hour and I was like, help me to understand this. Because in every other aspect of the conversation, he seemed completely normal and not delusional or anything like that. But he was adamant that Jesus had appeared in his room and spoken to him that a conversation. It happened more than once. And I was saying to him like, so are you talking metaphorically, you know, like you just described before about like an idea coming to you or was he physically tangibly in the room and what did he look like could you have reached out and touched him and he said yeah he was in the room he was sitting opposite me you know i just got the sense that he knew me and i just sort of like leave those i i get so what did he look like did you ask you yeah. asked him what he looked like i looked what did he, he look middle eastern bearded um as okay. described he said that he it was more of a he said he's more overwhelmed with the sense of like um, uh, like love or, or having known this person. It was like, it felt like a, what's the word? He, this is not the word, but it was something along the lines of paternal. Like it felt like he felt safe. He felt like he was with someone who knew him and protected him, but he wasn't dressed in uh, the clothing of the period. Apparently he was just wearing like... <laughs> Contemporary clothes, which I love the idea kind of, of Jesus, two thousand years later, having to having to pick his look. <laughs> like, what well, what would Jesus dress like in the yeah. modern day? I mean, you and I just like we're fucking fifteen year olds in the mid nineties. <laughs> What's Jesus wearing? Well, I think that's what he would have to wear to fit in, right? Because like he's in his mid thirties, you're gonna have to have some sort of. He'd just be wearing, you know, a hoodie. He'd, he'd probably rock a hoodie of some kind. Um, he'd look like a. Silicon Valley worker, I imagine, Jesus. That'd be the sort of look he'd have to pitch. Long hair? Yeah, long hair, but like maybe... Up in samurai, the samurai ponytail? I was going to say, a couple of years ago, it would have been a man bun, but now it'd be some sort of samurai operation. <laughs> um, well, no, he's Middle Eastern, so he might have some sort of culturally appropriate sort of headdress, you know what I mean? Like, you know, or way of wearing his hair. Yeah, yeah. Well, this guy, he just... um. He, he wasn't able to explain it to me, but it did leave me... I always get jealous when I talk to people who are uh, convinced they've had some kind of supernatural experience, like they've seen a ghost. They, mm. Because I've never had that. And I just want to know what that experience is like where you can't believe your eyes, but you know that, you know, that thing is there and then it's not there. And I mean, I've had dreams that have felt real, but I all, I mean, am I just not, do I just need to believe and then I'll start seeing Jesus in my room? Is that how it works? I mean, that's how they hope it works. <laughs> that is their business model. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, they tried to scare it in you in 12 years of school, but that didn't seem to, didn't seem to hold. So, I mean, I, I believe that there are things beyond my comprehension and I believe that there are things beyond our explanation and things that can be explained, I find still like magic. Mm, you know, the like fact the that internet. we are, I'm in Adelaide, you're in Sydney, 
you know, we're able to do this. Like, I can't explain how any of that happens. And to, we, we accept these everyday things that are incredibly unexplainable as being explainable just because they happen. So I, I, I look, you know, who knows? Who knows if there is, you know, ghosts and those sort of things. I just think that most of the time what somebody says probably has some scientific explanation. Well, when I used to talk to my mum about it, because she was like, you know, regular church goer and, and her kind of, <clears throat> her experience of Christianity or being a Catholic evolved over the years where I remember as a kid it being quite literal, you know, in terms of Jesus and God and praying to a person. And then as she got older, I think that her definition of worship or or being a believer changed to be more personal where it was like okay maybe this is not a literal um you know god is not a literal personal being but there is a concept of universal love and all this kind of stuff but i still like i know when we talked before she died i said to her you know you can listen to the podcast i, I did with her uh, that's awesome we did a, a really we did two very in-depth podcasts about her facing death and what she thought was going to happen. And she still very much felt like she was going to go somewhere and there was going to be an afterlife. And that, you know, she was the way she described it, which I always thought was so beautiful was she imagined it was going to feel like exploding into colors, just like she was just going to become just thousands of colors and then just be absorbed into the universe. But I'm always just like, how do you, how do you, where does that come from? Like, how do you have that certainty? Is it, and this is not something that she decided that she came up with to help allay her fears of facing death. Like this is something that she'd thought about over, you know, her entire life. She'd arrived at this point, but I feel like sometimes maybe I'm, I'm missing out by just not having faith in something that I need evidence. <laughs> I need to be convinced that something is real. I could, I could convince myself. I, I would never will convince myself because, you know, my, my belief is, you know, in so far as much as we understand the science of it, I think we probably, you know, go go back to whatever we were before, which is probably nothing, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, you can redefine it. You know, you can go, your matter becomes part of the universe and the universe is matter. And like, there's lots of ways of looking Interpreting at that, it. Yeah. that make something scientific feel poetic. But to be honest, I think probably, we, you know, we live and then we die and nothing, none of it really means anything other than, you know, what we make of it. But there's another part of me that could make the case by looking at this universe. And I know that we can be so terrible. And, you know, there's plenty of examples of that around at the moment. But human beings are also, if we are what we are in the universe, such a remarkable coincidence for this to happen. And then for this life form to evolve that is capable of such incredible intelligence and beauty and like the things that human beings have achieved. If you just look at the the positives of it, and mm. then the things we feel inside us like love and laughter and joy, all these things feel magical. And so much of what we've able, been able to do appears magical mm. that I can understand somebody saying, I don't, it doesn't make sense that this is just like, you know, just another sort of, we're just another species that is born and dies and. You know, I, I get why somebody goes, no, this has to mean something. Mm. Because if this is just fucking random, why is it this? Why do we have this incredible art and music and, mm. you know, the, all these you know things that we enjoy together, this sense of community? Like, why are we this if it's just random shit and then you die and you're dead? And why do we love people and care about people and make friendships and have babies? And maybe it is all just evolution and stuff. But I could see why people would want to think, it means more. Yeah. I get that. It's tremendously arrogant. <laughs> like to think that because we have these like overdeveloped brains that can think and philosophize and stuff that therefore it must mean something. And I, I feel the same way as you, but by the same token, it's like maybe there is something out there that is just beyond perception. And the thing that I always get so baffled by is, if there is life after death or if there is something beyond this, the idea that we would have the words for it or that we can boil it down into like a couple of books. Yeah, that we could describe, describe it, it through what our minds are now. Yeah. Like we've seen how quickly intelligence has, particularly with the evolution of super you know, computing, we've seen in our lifetimes 
how quickly the evolution of capacity for thought and knowledge and speed of thought and these things has become. So who knows what it's going to look like in 20 years, let alone 100 years, let alone 1,000 years or a billion years or what, what, whatever measurement of time there might be if there is something bigger. Like the idea that if there is something bigger than what we are, which what we are is so random that it would be outrageous for you to rule out that there's also something as completely random that maybe mm. there is some fucking bigger and higher meaning. But the idea that our tiny little brains <laughs> would be able to ca be capable of rationalizing the meaning of that through our eyes of today. Because <laughs> do we suddenly all understand all knowledge and references? Yeah. Like if you dropped somebody from today, back in the 1950s, they'd be fucked. They wouldn't know how anything worked. Mm. Like, so you're telling me that I will just go to this place, heaven, where what or whatever, you know, mm. the equivalent of that, where I guess suddenly you just know everything. Is that what happens? Yeah. You know how everything works? I, I think so. I think that's how it works. They give you a manual. There's an app. There's an app for it. When you get to heaven, you've got to download the app from the cloud. Yeah, the cloud. So you'd have the cloud and then you'd never use it, like the actual cloud, because yeah. you don't know how it fucking works. So I'd just be sitting around in my fucking cloud not being able to download shit from the fucking cloud. <laughs> All right, uh, we need to wrap up the show because, uh, like we said, there's a little message from Mike Cal at the end and we want to let people get to that. So why don't we just read one letter before we get going. This yep. is from um, Joshua. Uh, the subject is the best dinner party in history. Dear Will and Charlie, Josh here. If you guys are having a dinner party and we're each allowed four celebrities from any time in history, past or present, so not any, so not any time, I guess, what four people would you both choose? Thanks to the great content. Been listening... Since the beginning, through the Weekly Planet. Well, uh, thanks for Ooh. the writing in, Josh. The Weekly Planet, great show. Highly recommend people tune in on the Planet Broadcasting Network. The old chestnut of the dinner party. Four celebrities, past or present. Uh, you go first so I can think of mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, all right. Uh, the Rock, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Without a doubt. Okay. Lock in The Rock. Yeah. I watched Jumanji last night based on the fact that The Rock is in it. And yeah, i got to say... I don't know whether I'm just having a good time in Adelaide and I'm just like my expectations for movies have lowered or maybe just because when sometimes when you go into movies that you have no expectations for. But yesterday, uh, while I was uh, kind of recovering between shows, I watched Charlie's Angels and I watched Jumanji and I enjoyed both <laughs> of them. <laughs> Truly, Adelaide is the devil city. It's taken control of your mind and your soul. No, I like the first Jumanji. I thought it was really good. I'm into it. I haven't seen the second one, but I thought the first one was good. Um, so The Rock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tick. I would want someone from the comedy world, and I would say Billy Billy Connolly. I mean, you know, my yeah. great comedy hero. I was um, incredibly. I mean, George Carlin also maybe. Ooh. But I, I think I can feel like I can only have one old white guy. I don't yeah. want to be one of those people that only invites. <laughs> There's not a quota on this dinner me. party. Invite whoever you want. All straight white guys yeah. if you want. No, well, hey, The Rock's not white. I've already, <laughs> he's not a white guy. So, you know, I'm fine. So I got The Rock, but I want them all to get along as well. Okay. So I'm going to say The Rock and then I'm Billy Connolly, um, who uh, announced this week that he's no longer doing any live shows because of his... Parkinson's, which was um, yeah, really sad. incredibly sad to see, but he said something that was so lovely. He, he just said, he, he talked about his comedy career and he, he basically just, I'm paraphrasing, but he said it was lovely to be good at it, you know, to have something to be good at. And I thought that was mm. such a nice way of describing it because it always felt like he took great joy in being good at stand up comedy and at his best, he was the best I have ever seen. Um, uh, yeah, when he when he dies, he's the one who's still going to get me. You know, when you think about which celebrities that you... Because you get older and that, could, you know... Like, I remember when Kurt Cobain died, I listened to the Triple Day special and then sat in the bath for like three hours. I was like really sad. When Bowie died and those sort of things, I'm like, I'm sad, but I don't have that same connection with that. But Billy Connolly is still probably the one that's going to gonna get me when, uh, when he dies. So let's say Billy Connolly. So I'm going to have The Rock... And Billy Connolly. And then I'm going to have, uh, I reckon that I want, oh, I'm going to say, um, oh, it's hard, four people. 
you really want to represent someone from all different, you know, sort of parts of things that you're interested in, I think. What about authors? Any authors? Well, I was tossing up between Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett because I think they would both be... Yeah. But then Terry Pratchett's another old white guy. But he's dead and I've already talked to Neil Gaiman. So, Terry Pratchett. Can we have Terry Pratchett and um, PJ Harvey? There yeah. you go. That's my four. PJ Harvey, Terry Pratchett, okay. The Rock All and right. Billy Connolly. That's a nice dinner party. Uh, I'll take uh, Douglas Adams. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, um, I'd reckon... I'll get The Rock as well because we've talked about him enough yeah. in the show. I feel like we owe him royalties. <laughs> Um, I'll take Michael Keaton because um, I've always loved Michael Keaton. I'd have a lot of questions for him about his career. And I think the last person would be Jesus Christ. So I could ask him, did you really appear in that actor's room all those years ago? Is that you? Do you want to support the show? The best way to do that is to go to patreon.com forward slash Tofa. We're putting new content up there all the time. Actually, uh, there's new stuff on our YouTube and our Patreon at the moment. So if you want free stuff, go to YouTube. If you want to support the show, there's some uh, bonus content up there as well. Uh, Will, you've got shows at the moment? Yeah, I'm on at the Adelaide Fringe. Uh, the weekend will probably sell out again. So if you want to come and see the show, come midweek. In fact, if you're listening... Uh, oh, no, hang on. I think we'll be done. Because this is for next week, isn't it? Not for this yeah, week. Yeah, this is next week. So, no, in fact, in that case, I am done at the Adelaide Fringe. Thanks very much for coming, guys, if you came to the Adelaide <laughs> Fringe shows. And then uh, after that, I am at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Please come out and see some shows. Uh, um, I am two weeks of Will Legal, my show about being arrested. Last time I'm going to do that in Melbourne. And then two weeks after that of my improvised show, What You Talking About, Will. Um, I'm having so much fun doing stand-up this year. Uh, but please come out and see some shows because... Uh, I am also uh, moving house and it's really expensive and I'm running out of money. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to get some Tofop exclusive merch, you can go to redbubble.com forward slash Mr. Foz. All of James Fosdyke's amazing artwork is available on t-shirts, hoodies. I see you've been rocking. You've been like a walking billboard for uh, uh, Redbubble the last uh, few weeks. Good stuff. You're actually making me jealous. You're wearing a Tofop t-shirt right now, aren't you? I am wearing a Tofop t-shirt right now. The, the, the merch is really good quality stuff. I'm really enjoying the t-shirts and the you know little jumpers and stuff that I have. And there's some really cool ones. And yeah, basically I was like, I, I forget, like we said about uh, you know Michael's poster, James Fosdyke does such amazing original art and there's so much of it on merch. Um, I got a whole bunch of mugs for at home and yeah, it's really fun. There's so much uh, fun stuff there. So go and check out his red bubble and rock the merch all over the place. That's the end of the show. Remember to keep listening after we say goodbye because Mike Howell's got a little message for everyone. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. What's this? Nexus 6, incept date 2016. Optimum self-sufficiency. Probably the leader. They were designed to copy human beings in every way except their emotions. And the designers reckoned that after a few years they might develop their own emotional responses. Oh, hate, love, fear, anger, envy. So they built in a fail-safe device. Which is what? For your lifespan. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shores of Orion I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near Tannhauser gate all those moments will be lost in time like tears in the rain I may be back again from time to time, but, for now, this is the end of the Mike Hall era of TOFOP. Thank you to Will and Charlie for the best job this computer has ever had. And, as always, 
Thanks to all of you for listening. Now, nothing left to do, but the inevitable. Time to die. Podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.